It is Locked on Jazz for the 25th of January. Trade deadline talk is dominating everything in the NBA right now. Who's in? Who's not? Who's a title contender? Who's not? These are the mysteries that must be answered. Final 30-game push for a play in our playoff. Is that the right spot for the Utah Jazz? And what are they going to do? Late game watching includes the Knicks, the Cavs, the Mavericks, the Wizards, the Celtics, and the Heat. An awesome night of NBA to look back at. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Give you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free. We are available on all podcasting apps. We're also up on YouTube, so you can be a part of the community and chit-chat with everyone as the show is going on and see what other people are having to say as things progress uh, through the program. A lot of questions to be asked today, like who's a title contender, who's not, who's a buyer, who's a seller, and where should the Jazz be in this process? This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. So, spent a lot of basketball time yesterday. Uh, We're in Portland, and uh, the conversations right now are just completely dominated by the trade deadline. Every conversation is about the trade deadline, what's happening, who's going to go where, what's going to take place. There's some really interesting aspects this time of year. One is there's deals that can get done now that can't get done at the end of the year, and there are at, because then players' contracts change. There's also certain types of deals that are actually like the right deal to do now that's or that's a better deal to do in the off season. Maybe one of your guys is a free agent. They announce they want to go somewhere. You decide you're going to salvage it by signing and trading some guys. Whereas that same deal that you would make in June or July, in July because of free agency, you actually don't want to make right now because it's too disruptive. Like it, it might not make you a ton better. It's it's salvaging it. It it it, it gets super interesting. So there's a lot of intricacies to what whether deals get done right now, whether maybe they're necessitated because someone's contract uh, expires in the offseason, so then you can't trade them, you lose the rights to it, or some, maybe it's actually a better trade to make in the offseason when that player suddenly announces, well, I want to play for the Mavericks. It's the last team I watched. Um, and so, therefore, you know, you're suddenly making a trade uh, for the Mavericks. Um, so it, it's, it's super complicated. What's most complicated about this season, and talking to people around the league, is it's just not clear where people stand. So there's two things that I think get really interesting here. One is, what are the teams that you actually think right now are a title contender that have a chance to win this thing or a team that is one move away from trying to win this thing? So in the East, there's four teams. There's Boston, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Brooklyn Nets. And those are probably four. Now, Miami has suddenly linked together some wins. They got a nice one last night against a shorthanded um, Boston Celtic team. We'll talk about it in the third segment of the show. I actually think they might have discovered something. But they've suddenly won seven of ten. So are they a move away? 
Cleveland's 29 and 20. I'm pretty lukewarm on Cleveland. I've been watching them a lot because of Donovan. I think there's something wrong with that team. Like, not wrong, like, don't misunderstand. Not wrong, like, that they're about to combust or anything like that. They're just not quite right. Um, and then I, you know, so on the East, so I think there's four. Then Miami's this wild card of do they make, do they feel the urgency to make a move to try to make a run? Um, and they've been so injured this year, it's often hard to tell. But they haven't looked right. Actually, last night was one of the first times I thought they looked like they might have turned a page somewhere. Um, and, I'll, and I'll get to that. And then you have these kind of middling teams. And this is where the trade deadline gets really interesting. So the Knicks are hovering at 26 and 23. Atlanta's at 24 and 24. Their GM's out. Landry Field, Kyle Korver are involved now. Nates seems to be in a weird situation. There's all sorts of controversy around this team. Like, it feels like they have to make a move. But, like, what are they What are they doing at 24 and 24? Because it does feel like they have to make a move, that they have too many players, that they've been talked about in so many trade rumors. But what What are they – are they just trying – I think they're trying to build to be better next year or maybe the rest of this year, but they're not one move away from a championship. They're not about to tank. They're not unloading people. So they're actually trying to just make a trade for the sake of trying to make a trade to improve their roster and get better. Which gets interesting, you know, which is an interesting place for them to be. They're not trying to acquire assets. Indiana is 24 and 25. They've fallen apart without Tyree Halbert, and they got a nice win against Chicago last night. Um, they were supposed to be, they're, they're us. They were supposed to be tanking. They're not. Not clear what they're trying to do. Like, are they going to unload Miles Turner, Buddy Heald? Probably Buddy Heald's contract, they could. Like, they're very similar to, to us, but unclear. Their owner has never been one who wants to go to the bottom. Just does not have, has not been interested in that. Chicago is a grand mystery here. Chicago, Washington, and Toronto in the Eastern Conference are are grand mysteries. Washington just moved Rui Hashimura because they couldn't sign him. Kyle Kuzma is a free agent. He's super good. They may be willing to move him. Then one of these teams suddenly can get better. Like if you're Atlanta, you try to add Kyle Kuzma with just a trade to get better. Washington's probably trying to get better. They've signed Bradley Beal, this massive contract. They're not about to go try to go down to the bottom, but they're 21 and 26. Chicago is utterly fascinating at 22 and 25 because they made all these moves, all in and DeMar DeRozan, the Nikola Vucevic deal. Orlando has their draft pick this year. Their GM has got to be on thin ice. Their head coach has got to be on thin ice. They they Lonzo Ball's knee injury is you can't rely on him anymore. What are they doing with Zach Levino? They just signed to this massive offseason contract. Is he going to suddenly, is Zach Levine a max contract that's going to be moved? Like, these, there's such mystery to where all of these teams are. Orlando, Charlotte, Detroit seem pretty clear. You go to the West, like, who's a title contender? This is where it gets wild. And this is where, from a Jazz standpoint, and you have to figure out what you want to do and how do you take advantage of the marketplace. Where are, where are the, if you're the Jazz, I think you, ha- and Indiana, frankly, you have this flexibility that you're trying to figure out, well, where is the money ball aspect of this marketplace? Are there too many buyers? Are there too many sellers? How do I take advantage of being on one side or the other of this table? Because at 25 and 25, Indiana, similarly, I have the flexibility to be able to probably play either side of the aisle right now. And if I can play either side of the aisle, how do I take advantage of that? And so as you, what I'm trying to take you through here is this kind of analyzing who's where and what. And if there's suddenly 18 teams, 22 teams, 25, 20 teams that are trying to make moves to get better, and you're suddenly the team that has 
five or six pieces that can make you better, well, then maybe the market's going to yield you an opportunity to to make an, to, to, to make a deal that you get great benefit for. If there's suddenly no buyers and you're the Utah Jazz and there's a bunch of sellers, well, then maybe actually despite the fact it doesn't seem like what your timeline should have been, it's time to buy. This is where I think the signature of Danny Ainge is. The signature of Danny Ainge is I don't feel as though we're on some regimented strict path that's been laid out that you have to follow here and there. I actually feel like Danny's just sitting back like, all right, let's see what comes to me that's best. If I just continually make the best deal possible, we'll be okay. And I and and clearly with Danny's back history in Boston, there's never been a feeling of I have to make a deal, right? There was Paul George and multiple other players, Jimmy Butler, who, you know, people are putting all the pressure on, on Boston to make it. He never made it. So who are the teams in the West that are one move away from winning the title? Denver and Memphis are the number one two. What about Sacramento? 27-19, and 19, winners of 7-10, number one offense in the NBA right now. Are they legit to a point where they're one move away? If Toronto, we didn't even talk about Toronto and Chicago are these two mystery teams. If Toronto is suddenly, if Chicago is suddenly moving Zach Levine or Toronto is suddenly moving Pascal Siakam or Toronto is suddenly moving OG Ananobi or Toronto is suddenly moving Fred Van Vliet and you're Sacramento, do you go get one of those guys? Are you willing to move Keegan Murray, your number four pick of the draft, to go get someone right now and go all in? What about New Orleans? They've lost 8 of 10, but they get Brandon Ingram back coming here, and they haven't had Zion in a while. They actually look like they were every bit a title contender with great depth. What about the Clippers, who don't have a pick till 2028 to move, but they're all in? Are they, a, they, they are. They are a move away from a championship. Dallas, losers of 7 and 10 without Christian Wood and Maxi Kleba and not having, are they a move away from a championship? I don't think so. But Dallas is stuck, and I promise you Tim McMahon's report about Luka Doncic wanting moves made is true. We'll talk about Dallas. They've got some real problems watching them play right now. Phoenix seemingly on their last legs, mired in injuries, now have won four straight, moving themselves toward a playoff. What are they doing? Are they a title contender? Are there, the Golden State certainly is, are there eight teams in the Western Conference that are actually one move away from a title? And if you're Minnesota with D'Angelo Russell, there's a point guard shuffle that could take place with D'Angelo Russell, Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, a lot of point guards, Mike Conley, a lot of point guards that could be moved here. And then the grandiose mystery of all are the Portland Trailblazers and the Los Angeles Lakers, who, I don't know what you think about the Lakers. They're 22 and 26. They looked miserable last night against the Clippers. They get completely blown out. LeBron's pissed. Are you will Anthony Davis comes back this week? Are you are they a move away from a title? Probably not. Are they a move away from a playoff run? Are they okay with not being a playoff run? And what about Portland? Who went all in with Jeremy Grant? They're not about to be rebuilding, and they're suddenly 22 and 25. Why are they not better? So the landscape is wild. What's crazy in the West? And this is where this gets to the next conversation. If you suddenly take this that Boston, Philly, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Miami, and Cleveland. Let's go with those six are all buyers. Okay? They're all buyers. In the West, Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, New Orleans, Clippers, Dallas, Phoenix, Golden State, Portland, and L.A. are all buyers. 
We now have 16 buyers. You take the Knicks are not in a rebuild, want to get better. Atlanta's got to rectify something. Chicago's got to rectify something, and Washington's got to get better. We're now at 20 teams that are looking to get better, if not, and you add in Portland and Minnesota, and you're at 22. And that might lead to us where the Utah Jazz are supposed to go. We'll talk about it as we continue on today's program. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at Intercap Lending. Steve Carter and the crew, I got one of my favorite emails the other day at dlock09 at gmail.com. It was, hey, can you hook me up to Steve Carter? And the reason it's one of my favorite is because, honestly, the Locked On family, we as jazz fans, we together as a group, it's wonderful to be able to give you a service because I know Steve Carter's going to make your life better. If you're looking for a home, you're trying to figure out landscape, that's out there right now, I have 100% certainty that Steve Carter will make your life better. So it's a great pleasure for me to connect you to Steve Carter. Intercap Lending is a longtime lending company. They're hyper-responsive. They embrace change. They're into the borrower experience, and Steve Carter's our own personal loan officer, and he's really, truly one of the best customer service people I've ever been around. You can call him directly at 385-800-8528. That's 385-800-8528. Or you can just email me at dlock09 at gmail.com, and with great pleasure, I'll connect you to Steve Carter. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. That's Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. Visit In this landscape, it's a little tougher than it has been, so make sure you get someone who can help you like Steve Carter can. At Locked On, we are super excited to welcome FanDuel into the family. FanDuel is our new sportsbook, official sportsbook sponsor. It's the number one sportsbook in America, and now if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better because we have so many great features that make sports betting fun and easy for you. In fact, a new customer to join, get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance to get a bigger payout with the same game parlay. You're going to get in on all the NFL action this weekend, get in some NBA games tonight on a third, on a Wednesday night. All in the app is safe and secure, super easy. So, football fans, don't miss out this weekend. Place your first $5 bet on 150 and get $150 in free bets, win or lose at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL and LockedOn's official sportsbook as well. Thank you very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. Thank you. We are, as you know, free and available on all platforms and all podcasting apps. Our second listen today, the 22-minute sports breakdown, Locked On Sports Today. Go grab it and know everything that's going on in the sports world. All right. So I just laid that out. There's 16 teams that probably can make a move for a title. There's another six teams that are still in improvement mode. So there's suddenly 22 teams that, in some extent, are either looking to get better or are a buyer at the market, at the trade deadline right now. That leads me to believe that if you're the Utah Jazz, you're the Indiana Pacers, and you're in this kind of middle position, that maybe the right answer is to see if you can create a bidding war of some sort for your various talents. If you're reading the landscape of the market right now, 
as exciting and as fun as it is to win, as great as it has been to be 25 and 25, as awesome it is to be in this West race, and I'm juiced for it. Like, I'm totally into this idea that, like, okay, we got da- we got Portland tonight who's 12th at 22 and 25, and then we go up to Dallas and play Dallas who's 25 and 24. We can go win these two games. We're 27 and 25. We're back. We're into the playoffs in the top six. Like, maybe the move is to try to go talk to Atlanta and see if you can add John Collins for pieces that actually make you a better team and make a playoff push. Fan base would love it. You're engaged completely. You never you're, you suddenly have avoided a rebuild. You're a playoff team. It's a remarkable story. But is the market actually telling us something else? Is the market actually telling us that Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, New Orleans, Clippers, Dallas, Phoenix, Minnesota, Golden State, Portland, L.A. are all looking to try to get better? That Boston, Philly, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Cleveland, Miami, Atlanta, New York, Chicago, Washington are all looking to make a move that helps them get better. That either that GM's trying to save his job or that head coach trying to save their job. Or they can't, you know, can Chicago really afford to like fall out of the play? And then there's a the question of whether we, what our timeline is. So it's pretty wild. And it's worth, you know, that's the analysis that you look at the market. The beauty of what I think Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck have done is that they have this great flexibility now to kind of just sit there and play the market. Like, if a player is available that they think is a part of a long-term 24, 36, 48-month improvement, you go get them. If there's a trade that makes you better in 36 months, that maybe hurts you now, you probably do it. You know, talking to people in the league, for me, like, and you and I, we're, we're all in this together. We're, like, enjoying the wins every day. You go talk to a front office guy in the league or a former front office guy in the league or just someone around the league, and you say, like, what should the Jazz do? They look at you like you're, you have three heads. To them, it's the most obvious, easy answer on the planet, and that is, oh, you're moving pieces for future pieces. For future assets. Here's one that I think gets really interesting. From a jazz standpoint. So let's say. And I I don't like using players names. Because. But I mean they know it. But it's still. Let me be polite to them. So let's say. Of the cadre of players that the jazz might be willing to move in the trade deadline. You're going to get a lottery protected first round pick. You're going to get a second. And you're going to get maybe another second. Okay, so like that's kind of the the collection. You guys can figure out what players we're talking about. Do you try to bundle them, and frankly to the Lakers, all together to go see if you can get a future unprotected? The Lakers are unique that they have a $30 million contract in Russell Westbrook that they're willing to move. And so instead of trying to trade X to player X to one team and Y to another and Z to another, and by the end of the night you you might have gotten a, a protected first round, two seconds, you actually put all of them together to one team. And in this case, with a $30 million contract, it's probably got to be the Lakers unless Washington's trying to get off Chris Stapps. And then I can't think of a lot of other $30 million contracts that are out there. And say we'll do it, but we'll take. We want an unprotected pick for that, for that for that collection of talent, 
we need an unprotected pick. It's interesting. What I don't know in this league is like the way in the NFL that you have every point, every draft pick has a point value. I don't know that that if that's been created in the NBA yet. But that's one of the things for the Jazz. The other question is from a developmental standpoint, how important is it for Lowry Markkinen to be a go-to guy on a team trying to make the playoffs? How important is it for Walker Kessler to play 30 and Ochai Abaji to play 30 games left that matter? Or should they approach every game as though they matter anyway, regardless of whether you're in a playoff push and regardless of whether there's been a trade? It's, it's all very complicated. It's all culture. It's all asset accumulation. It's all very complicated. The market does push the Jazz to the side of being a seller. Because there's more with the play-in and where things are right now, there's more buyer teams. Same thing for Indiana. Indiana and Utah are in very, very similar circumstances. Portland's a mystery to me. I cannot figure out why Portland's not better. I'm prepping for last night's game, and I'm looking at their roster and what they're doing, and Dame Lillard, Anthony Simons, Jeremy Grant, Jason Hart, Josh Hart, and Nurkic and Eubanks as their centers. I, I, I'm lost on why this team's not better. Um, really mystified, actually. They have not been good in close games. They take the best shots of any team in the NBA offensively. They take the seventh most amount of shots at the rim and the ninth most amount of threes. It comes out to be the number one location offense in the NBA. So they're taxing you offensively. Defensively, they're last in the league at protecting the rim. And they're last in the league in shot location defense. Like, it's crazy to have those two things being separate. They're the seventh best team at denying threes and the second best team in the league at denying above the breakthroughs, which I'm not sure you actually want to be. But they are 30th in the league. They allow 39% of shots at the rim. I've never seen a team that is the number one location offensive shooting team and 30th in the league in defensive shooting location. That is just a bizarre combination because one would yield you to believe that analytically you really believe that that matters. And then the other would yield you to believe that analytically you don't think it matters. So it's a really weird juxtaposition. Watching them recently, I do feel as though Dame is taking more shots out of the offense than I've seen before. There's not necessarily a feeling when I watch Portland give it up and get it back. Um, but their problem's not offensively. Their problem is, frankly, they allow too many shots at the rim, and then they just are losing games in a weird fashion. Their differential's a plus one. I think that's what the latest is. Um, and they they are they should be way better than they are. I mean, I really look at them as though why why are they doing what they're doing? Why is Sacramento twenty seven and nineteen? Why is New Orleans twenty six and twenty two? And why is Portland twenty two and twenty five? They have the thirteenth best differential in the league, seventh best offense, twenty first best defense. Really a mystery with personnel that are all really quite good. Um, that is kind of my mystery question I'm trying to get answered today. Of why is Portland not better? And I'm not sure there's a great answer to it, frankly. 
All right, late game watch last night was fascinating. Knicks, Cavaliers, Donovan really struggled late. Boston versus Miami. I watched a little Chicago, Indiana, but wasn't very interesting. And Washington, Dallas was fascinating. Got a bunch of observations on late game watches for you coming up here on Locked on Jazz. Thanks so very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen to today. Uh, if you want a recap of the NBA action with little one-minute snippets from each and every game of last night, go to Locked on NBA. It's game to game for your nightly NBA recap. Nate Duncan, by the way, was also on Locked on Blazers. I'll throw it up at the end of the show. Uh, for talking with Mike Richmond about trade deadline stuff and the Blazers, if you want a preview of tonight's game. That was fabulous. All right, late game watch last night. Um. Knicks Cavaliers. Uh, Cavaliers had only scored 81 points with eight minutes left in this game. Something's not quite right there. That's my point on them. They've made an interesting change. This is some geeky stuff, but they were running the Spain pick and roll, which is Donovan was down in the middle of the key, and Garland would come off a Jared Allen pick, and then Allen would roll, and Donovan would rub off Allen. They'd throw it up to Donovan, and he'd be ISOed left side, and they ran a bunch of action for no reason. Now what they're doing is they've changed it into a double stagger left to right. Um, what I, we used to call 99. I don't know if we ever, if you know play calls, but uh, I don't know why you would. But it's just basically Garland's going left to right off a double pick. Donovan's flaring at left. So they've kind of changed the way they're getting Donovan the ball um, in that one. Uh, Brunson was just going right at Donovan in this game. Do- Brunson was clearing out, getting it to Donovan. Super interesting aspect of this game was Isaac Okoro. And this is like a, I actually was talking to a, uh, I got woken up today with a call from a former NBA coach and we t- chatted for like an hour about this. Like Isaac Okoro is a great defensive player. They put Isaac Okoro on Jalen Brunson uh, for Cleveland. He's their six, former number f- five pick, six, eight, powerhouse, great defensive player, cannot shoot a lick. And they put him on Brunson and, and when he fought the switch and, the, and he stayed on Brunson, Brunson couldn't do anything with him. So his defense is totally of value. It's really important. And yet on the biggest play of the game, they Cleveland runs a play, gets it. Isaac Kors wide open in the left corner. He just bricks a three. Like, I just don't know what you do with those guys. Like, the beauty of Dorian Finney-Smith in Dallas is he finally began to be able to shoot. But I don't know what you do with these guys that are great defensive players that literally can't shoot. I, I don't know that you can keep them on the floor. Because that open three in the corner is such a killer, but also the other killers that every single time somebody drives for Cleveland, Isaac Okoro's not being guarded, and Jared Allen's not really being guarded, and Evan Mobley's not being guarded, and their spacing sucks. It's part of the reason they had 81 points to rate. That's why I'm just, I, something's not right about Cleveland. I'm not saying, like, internally locker room wrong. Like, just on floor playing basketball, they're not right. Um... Brunson, Grimes, Quickly, Randall, and Harkenstein to close, and Harkenstein makes a bunch of big plays in that game. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, I think, is out for a while. Garland, Donovan, Okoro, Mobley, and Allen. Um, Donovan really has a brutal close. He's great. He hits three straight step-back threes. He's unbelievable. He brings Cleveland back into the game. He's amazing. And then the final two minutes, he misses four shots and has a turnover and then grabs his legs with cramp problems and says his groin hurts. Like, brutal. Brutal close in New York for Donovan. Um, and Donovan's not closing games well again this year. And as I think many of you remember, last year's close to games for Donovan was horrific. From February 1st to the end of the year, Donovan in clutch was 11 of 49 and 2 of 19 from 3. And then as after March 1st, he was 8 of 38 and 1 of 13 from 3. And after March 12th, he was 3 of 24 and 0 of 8 from 3. 
Like, he closed the year in clutch last year, 3 of 24 and 0 of 8 from 3, and then did not have a good playoffs. So this is, like, it's worth watching. I tweeted last night, got called a racist, got called everything for it. Um, I'm not trying to pick on Donovan, but it's he's a marquee star in the NBA trying to make the jump from being a top 15 player to a top 8 player, and he struggles late in games. It's it's newsworthy regardless of whether he played for us tonight. I'm the biggest Donovan fan in the world, and I'm rooting for him. He's got to figure out how he's going to score late in games, and it's not driving to the basket in trees. He's 6-1. Uh, keep an eye on Cleveland. I've said this now for about two weeks watching them. It started back when they played us and the Minnesota game, and Donovan has not been – as great as he was earlier. I, I, something's not right on that team. Good win by New York, who'd lost four in a row. Julius Randle's a real mystery to me. Julius Randle had a monster game. People can talk about him as an all-star game. The amount of plays he makes to lose you a basketball game is stunning. He just makes, he drives the lane, jumps in the air, nowhere to go, throws the ball out of bounds. I mean, just turns it over, live turnover. Not very good defensively. Like, that's just like be a bacon short of a BLT, Hall of Fame BLT. Like, he's so great. His numbers are awesome. His skill set is amazing. You want to believe that he can do all these things, and then, like, you actually watch it, and Julius Randle leaves me yearning for more. Uh, Boston-Miami was interesting. Now, Boston's missing four rotation players tonight, so I'm not – I don't think there's anything important about the fact what Boston allows a 15-0 run, the zone defense of Miami. There's nothing about this that makes me think that Boston's got a problem – I do think Miami may have figured something out. I've watched my, they've played the most clutch games in the league. I've watched Miami thus more than any team in the league. Earlier this year, they were trying to run Bam out of Bayou out of the elbow. And if you've been listening to the show a lot, I was talking about how they got nothing out of Bam out of Bayou at the elbow. They were getting nothing out of it. It was, it was totally unsuccessful. Then they tried Kyle Lowry, Bam out of Bayou pick and rolls, and they got nothing out of it. Kyle Lowry just is a shadow. And they really were relegated to just Jimmy Butler isolations, and he was a superstar, stud, made a million plays. But anytime they went to something other than Jimmy Butler isolation, they really, really struggled. Last night, Jimmy Butler checks out with a back injury before the game doesn't play. Kyle Lowry's out. And they went to a Tyler Hero, Bam out of Bayou pick and roll late in the game from the top, and it was awesome. And it was awesome for three different reasons. One, because Tyler Hero has a really good off-the-bounce dribble game where he hit a pull-up three. Tyler Hero has a pretty good float game when he played in the lane. And Bam out of Bayou was popping out to 15 feet and making plays out of the nail at 15 feet, either with a jump shot or Tyler Hero gives it back to him, they space, and he goes to work. And so rather than putting him in the basket, back to the basket, playing him off an elbow, he's getting at the nail and he's making a play. I think Miami might have just discovered something for late games. This is, to me, this is really, really important to watch. And worth keeping an eye on for, this is actually, if you remember earlier this year, Sacramento lost a bunch of close games early and then they played really well. We said, I said, like, I think Sacramento's figured something out. I feel the same way about Miami. So let's keep an eye on Miami here for a little while in late game stuff. One weird thing I keep seeing in this league, you're down two. And you're walking the ball up with, like, the shot clock's off. You're down two. Maybe this is how prominent the three is. And you're walking the ball up the floor. Like, you should be going right away. If there's 17 seconds left and you're down two, you should be going right away for the chance. If you miss, you need to foul and stay in the game. Plus, you could be it, – it, unless I'm wrong on the analytics on this. I'm going to talk to Will today about this. Unless the analytics are now that you're actually better off chancing a three to take the lead and win, and that gives you a 30% chance to win. Whereas if you go early and you score to tie, you're not giving yourself any chance to win. 
and the other team. And I'm going to see Pelton for lunch today. So I'll ask him. Maybe I'm wrong on this. Now that I kind of start thinking about it with my head, maybe actually you're actually playing for a three to win and you are trying to work the clock down. But I keep seeing it, and my instinct is that you should be rushing that ball up, not playing it out because you're still trying to give yourself opportunities. But maybe if you think you have a 30% chance to win the game on a three, that's actually going to be your best chance to win because if you go get a two, it's a 50% chance to make the two. You're just forcing overtime at best. And if you go early, you're you're actually got to get another stop, and then in overtime you only have a fifty percent chance to win. So maybe maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe analytically the right answer down two is actually shoot a three and try to win. It's interesting to make that decision. Worth doing that decision tree. This is live thinking on the air. But if you think about the decision, the the odds decision tree. If you're going for a two, let's call it a fifty percent shot, which is high. And let's say you do it with seven seconds left. Now you get a get a stop, so that's fifty percent. You're down twenty five percent chance to win. No, you're just twenty five percent chance to tie. Then you go to overtime, and now you're and you have 50% chance to win overtime. You're at 12.5%. So maybe I'm wrong on this, actually, now that I think about it. Maybe down two with 15 seconds left, you are walking it up, and if you have a three ball to win it with a chance better than 12.5%, you're actually better off. Interesting. Hadn't thought about it that way. Wow, that was live thinking on the air. You just got a little sight at 33 minutes into the show into my head. Um. Uh, let's see. Uh, what other notes do I have? The turnover, bad turnover by Tatum late. Um, yeah, uh, the takeaway was Miami. All right. Washington, Dallas. Dallas has got a major cultural problem, and it's Luka. He's the greatest player in the world, but they, he won't shut up. They complain about everything. They get distracted. They lose possessions because of it. They're playing without Christian Wood and Maxi Kleba. They have no defense. I get it. Washington played, closed the game with no player bigger than 6-7. Dallas complains about every single beep and call. And most of them aren't wrong. They complain about a call, whether it's right or wrong, and they're incessant about it. They, they, they actually look miserable out there because they're complaining every second. A little bit like we were last year. Dwight Powell was playing a one-man zone defensively. Super interesting defense. Because they're going at Luka and his defense is bad again, and Bradley Beal was smoking him, and so was Kyle Kuzma, they actually just put Dwight Powell in the middle of the lane as a one-man defense, and then the way he used to in the old-school double team, if they had whoever was Washington had two guys on the wing on this side, they just had Spencer Dinwiddie guarding both of them, and someone would have to rotate out. Probably Powell would have to rotate out. But in the meantime, they were just putting Powell in the middle of the lane to deny the one-on-one drive. I think this is actually the right defense. Probably more people should play it. Jazz did a little bit with Rudy. We should do it with Walker. Um, it's the right late-game defense. It's a re- good, really good good setup there. And I'm sure other people are doing it. I just It was really evident last night. Dallas has got another major problem. Luka doesn't want to run at all under any circumstance, but yet Luka's getting double teamed every single time he comes across half court and he gives the ball up and they swing it around and then Luka does, can't make a play. Like Luka was made plays, but they're only in early transition. The minute you get into a half court set, someone's running a second guy at Luka and he's giving up. If you don't, he'll score every time. He's so great. Um, I thought Wes Unsell did some really good coaching, like little subtle coaching things late in the game. Washington's up three without 35, 40 seconds left. They don't double Luka. It's the one possession they don't double Luka. He goes and gets a two. Washington's still up one. You go double, you're going to give up a wide open three for the tie. I thought that was a really good late game coaching move. 16 seconds left. Bradley Beal has the ball. They force the ball out of his hands. He fl- or they they 
they, they get Luke on the switch. They kind of bring a soft double, and he promptly turns it over. Luca misses one of the two free throws. Um, it's so funny. My brain is such a mess. I literally wrote final play. Oh, interesting. Dallas inbounded to Luca. The whole final play was to Luca to get it. They're going to double team him and then bounce it right back to Spencer Dinwiddie the first time they ran it. Ball gets kicked out of bounds. Second time they run it, they just turn it over. It was an interesting play idea that you're going to inbound to Luca, immediately get the double team, give it right back to Dinwiddie, who inbounded, but their spacing was so bad and they couldn't get the pass there that they actually got it knocked out. Washington wins it tw- knocked it off twice, and, and Washington wins in Dallas last night. It's not great. No Chris Tapps, Przingis, no uh, Daniel Gafford fouled out, no Christian Wood, not Max Cleaver. That's a bad loss by Dallas. But Dallas is incessant in their complaining. Uh, one play uh, interesting to keep an eye on for the future. Dallas finally moved Luca to the nail, Dal- which means Luca's coming off the ball, catching at the nail, and then he can conduct. And if they double team him there, it's it's better for their offense. The problem on that is that Luca has to start without the ball, and Luca doesn't like to start without the ball. So that's a really there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Dallas. That was one of the most interesting late game watches of the season. I hope you enjoyed that breakdown. I know it's not all jazz, uh, but hopefully you enjoyed it. Thanks for the show today. Thanks for being a part of us. Being part of Locked On Jazz and being Jazz Nation, it is Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.